live and local. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. And a great good afternoon and welcome aboard on this middle of the week Wednesday, May the 11th, the year 2022. Drama at the SEC softball tournament, LSU and Mississippi State. In game one, Tigers score two in the seventh to send it to extra innings. And as we speak, they've got a runner in scoring position to try to win this thing in the eighth. Um, As luck uh, has it, we were going to get Patrick Wright, the uh, voice of the LSU Lady Tiger softball team, um, here in just a minute. But duty calls, and he's still calling the game. And so we'll have to wait and uh, see how this all turns out. Um, a rally, a rally by LSU. They, they, they were stymied all day long, but they came through in the bottom of the seventh, the last inning, to send it to extra. We'll get you an updated uh, thing on that one. The winner of today's single elimination tournament game will advance to play number three seed Tennessee tomorrow at 11 a.m. The loser... Well, single elimination, they'll return home and await their NCAA tournament fate. So we'll wait and see uh, about that one. You heard in the two-minute drill, LSU baseball last night, easy, um, easy effort uh, in disposing of Southeastern Louisiana 17-3, to earning their fifth win in six games. LSU improved to 33-15 and overall. Yesterday was a, was a conference uh, confidence booster. First, uh, Gavin Duga um, returned after um, uh, his second start, first in left field since injuring his hand against Florida in late March. And what a return he had. Very first at, va- at bat, Dugas um, sent the second pitch he saw deep over the left field bleachers. And that uh, kind of was the start. Southeastern answered with a solo shot in the uh, top of the second inning before LSU really got things going with a monstrous fourth inning. The Tigers blew it open with nine more runs on a bases loaded ground out by Dylan Cruz, a two RBI single by Trey Morgan, a two RBI double by Braden Jobert, an RBI single by Tyler McManus and a fielder's choice by Collier Cranford. And like that, it was 11 to one LSU. And this thing was called um, after the sixth inning. And the Tigers uh, got the old uh, run rule effect in it. Um, Jay Johnson sent Samuel Dutton back out for the start just two days after he didn't make it out of the first inning on Sunday. Dutton gave LSU three solid innings, allowing run one run on two hits, a double and a homer, no walks, two strikeouts. Then... Johnson sent Blake money out to the mound for his first relief appearance of the season uh, after he too failed to make it out of the first inning a few days earlier. Again, this is a confidence building 
game. Money threw one and two-thirds hitless, scoreless innings with three strikeouts, and uh, the crowd really got behind him uh, when he exited. So LSU gets the win. They build some confidence. Next up, Ole Miss comes to Alec Box Stadium, Skip Berkman Field this Friday for the start of the of another yet three-game SEC series. According to those in the know, the experts that do this bracketology stuff, uh, they're all saying LSU needs to win three of its remaining six SEC contests to secure a spot as a regional host in the NCAA tournament. Okay, so they ought to be in in pretty good shape on that one. Uh, so LSU baseball gets it done uh, in a fine, fine fashion. Again, the SEC softball tournament is underway. I'm trying to get a uh, a score here uh, on the latest. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We're working on it. We're working on it. But uh, the start of um, a tournament that goes extra innings, and that's always uh, an interesting, interesting scenario. So um, we've got all of that. Meanwhile, in the NBA, we've got two games tonight. Milwaukee-Boston tied at two games apiece. Uh, we've got um, Golden State in Memphis, at Memphis, with the Warriors leading three games to one. It is apparent that uh, Ja Morant is done for the playoffs, and that's never, ever, ever good news uh, as the knee is acted up. And he will not be good to go for tonight as Golden State goes for the knockout blow. Last night, two blowouts um, in this thing as uh, the home teams just rolled and rolled easily. Miami beat Philadelphia by 35, 120 to 85. And the Phoenix Sun, Miami now leads that best of seven series three games to two. Phoenix leads their series over Dallas three games to two with a 30-point win, 110 to 80. So um, no contest as far as um, the, the basketball last night. It wasn't even, uh, wasn't even remotely close. So more games coming. Let me tell you about our guest list today. We, we were going to get Patrick Wright, and I am uh, – Uh, And we'll effort to get him. If not now, we'll try and see if we can get him um, later on in the program to cap off what has been uh, quite a start. LSU is the sixth seed. Mississippi State as the um, 11 seed. And uh, LSU trying to get get it going. So um, they got a two RBI single to tie the game in the bottom of the seventh. And uh, they're they're still playing tied at four. Uh, a piece for a piece. Um, our guest list today, Ali Cassell will join me at around uh, 2.30 this afternoon, and we will discuss the, the Pelicans uh, and the NBA, how what a draft it was and what, a, what first-year players the Pels had this year and Herb Jones, um, who was consistent throughout the season. Uh, Trey Murphy, who... Well, struggled early and then really became a contributing factor late. And the free agency pickup and signing of Jose Alvarado, who has become just uh, spectacular for, for the Pels. They have done a wonderful job. If, if the Pelicans were to win 
the NBA lottery, and they would have yet the first pick in the draft again. Again. Remember, they've had first pick a couple of times. They picked Anthony Davis with one. They picked Zion Williamson with another. If they had the opportunity this time, and nothing's out of the realm of possibilities, who would they pick? We'll take uh, get Ali Cassell's pick on that. Um, and uh, much, much more along the lines of the um, NBA playoffs. Uh, we're going to the top of the ninth and still tied at four with State coming to bat. So we'll keep you updated on that one throughout the course of the day. Meanwhile, the ULL Ragin' Cajuns go to Houston and they take on the Rice Owls for the first of two in this uh, Texas two-step affair as they go from Houston to San Marcos uh, to take on league-leading Texas State on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Um, the, the Cajuns get the win 7-3 to three last night in Houston. The, the next game today will be a 6-30 first pitch, uh, but the Cajuns um, picked up 15 hits on the day. Um, and they took a close game. They were trailing. They led two to one after one. They trailed three to two after three. And it remained that way through the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth scoreless innings. The Cajuns put up two on the board in the seventh to take a four to three lead. And then they put three runs on the board in the eighth to win it going away seven to three. Um, Heath Hood, the right fielder, went three for five with two runs batted in. Carson Rockefeller at first base went two for four with two ribbies and leadoff hitter Connor Kimple in left field went two for five with two ribbies and three runs scored. Just some of the batting heroes, Kyle DeBarge at short uh, three for four with one run scored. Bobby Lada at second two for three with one run scored. Um, David Christie went three and a third. Gave up six hits, three runs, all of them earned. Austin Perrin came in, uh, gave you three uh, innings of no runs scored. He only gave up two hits. Bo Bonds pitched two-thirds of an inning, and then Dylan Thute uh, went the final two and gave up nothing. So a big, big win for the UL Ragin' Cajuns. Again, they'll try and sweep the Rice Owls uh, tonight starting at 6.30. The Cajuns are now 29 and 17 overall. All right. We are brought to you today by Cajun Chef, uh, the best hot sauce on the planet, the Beard family for um, a long, long time, right there in St. Martinville, putting out the finest products there. Um, Cajun hot sauce. I will put it up against anybody's in the world, and it's right there in your backyard. Do yourself a flavor. Try some Cajun Chef hot sauce. Uh, you'll you'll find out that it's uh, uh, <laughs> delicious and different in so so many ways. All right, time out. Twelve minutes after the hour, um, Ali Cassell will join us at the bottom of the hour. Chris Roglevu will join us at around three ten. We'll talk more about the New Orleans Saints, and then Michael Huguenin. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss the NCAA, the NIL, and the woes and begos of all that mess. It's all coming your way this Wednesday edition the Jordy Helper Show. We come to you on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Stay with us. 
They say shooters shoot. He's a man who shoots from the hip and a man who's hip when he shoots. And no one shoots more from the hip when it comes to sports talk than the Blonde Bomber. Back to more of the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, welcome back. Uh, updated at Southeastern Conference softball tournament score. Mississippi State has now put three runs across the board in the top of the ninth to take a 7-4 to four lead over 18th-ranked LSU, which comes into the tournament as a number six seed um, in, in the SEC tournament. So it looks like it could be a one and done for LSU, and then they'll go back home and they'll await their fate in the uh, NCAA tournament where they should be a host at Tiger Park. Um, coming up later, it'll be Auburn versus Missouri, a battle of Tigers, Texas A&M versus Florida, Georgia versus Ole Miss today. Uh, so a busy, busy slate, and you just love it when a tournament goes uh, extra innings to start things off. So um, we shall we shall see uh, about that. Uh, Gail Benson received the Times-Picayune Loving Cup, which honors her uh, philanthropy. And, you know, ever since um, Katrina... Uh, Tom Benson and then his his wife, Gail Benson, have really um, taken the bull by the horns and have made this franchise and the New Orleans Saints one of the one of the better franchises uh, around the National Football League. And for a small market, it is uh, amazing how this has all come to be and how at once uh, Tom Benson was vilified because everybody thought that he was going to pack the saints up and leave and go to San Antonio, but to the NFL's credit and Paul Tagliabue and the rest, they said, no, 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 no. You're, uh, you're coming back to new Orleans and you're going to make it work. And that relationship and that, uh, passionate love of the community that Gail Benson has shown and the loyalty of the people, the fierce loyalty of the people, um, have made this quite the marriage that is. Um, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen down the road. Uh, I, You know, people are talking about wanting a new stadium. I'm saying why. Uh, the Superdome is just fine as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Gail Benson, 75 years old, uh, owns the Saints, owns the Pelicans, who are team on the rise as well. And, you know, you can see how stability and ownership and the right people that are the decision makers really are so important in anything. Yeah, you've got to have smart people who go out and get the the right players uh, and the most talented players, but it's how you run the day-to-day business. And, I, you know, forever and a day, from the days of John Meekham owning the Saints, um, you couldn't always say this. You really couldn't. But now, um, and, and I don't think enough credit goes to a Mickey Loomis and a Dennis Lasha uh, and that, that group, that inner core that, um, 
that makes this thing work. It's one of the better organizations around, and we're very, very fortunate that they have. And so Gail Benson was honored for the long list of philanthropic organizations and causes that she supports. And that's that's tremendous. It's hard to believe Tom Benson died in 2018 with a fortune that Forbes estimated at three point eight billion. Um, Gail is by far the richest Louisianian, uh, but she doesn't hoard it. She gives it. And and that's pretty good. So her generosity is well appreciated um, and she deserves it. She is a terrific, terrific owner that stays in the background and lets her leadership run things. And she has really, really good people uh, surrounding her to help make those uh, decisions. Seven to four Mississippi State, LSU coming to bat, three outs away from uh, one and done and heading back to Baton Rouge. But uh, their season will not be over. They will um, certainly, certainly live to play to play again. Um and that's good. That's a, that's really, really good. So um, Hall of Famer Bob Lanier um, has died at the age of 73. Uh, you may not be of age to remember Bob Lanier, a former number one overall pick. Uh, he played for the Detroit Pistons and the Milwaukee Bucks 14 years in the NBA. Uh, he was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame back in 1992, passed away at the age of 73. Uh, he was a Hall of Fame player, was a great center, left-hander. And I'll never forget, Bob Lanier was playing for the Bucks, uh, and they were playing the uh, New Orleans Jazz in the Superdome. And one of the Jazz players, I can't remember who it was at the time, but... Um, was getting under Bob Lanier's skin and kept agitating him and agitating him and uh, committed a hard foul on Bob Lanier. And Bob was a, was a big dude. Now, I'm talking a big dude who averaged 20 points and 10 rebounds for his career, the number one overall pick out of St. Bonaventure back in 1970. Anyway, um, Bob Lanier had enough and... He went after this New Orleans jazz player. Rich Kelly was the center, Rich Kelly. And um, Rich Kelly was scared to death. If Bob Lanier hits you, you were out. You were out. You were seeing stars. And I remember Bob Lanier chasing him off the court, up into the bleachers of the makeshift football to basketball configuration back in the day. Uh, my parents had season tickets to those games, and they were sitting in that section and uh bob lanier chased him up the aisle uh rich kelly went cr across the aisle and down and back on the court it was one of the funnier sights i had ever seen uh but bob lanier rest in peace he was a great player and a great ambassador uh to the nba uh after his career he got involved with the uh the league office uh as a global ambassador and a special assistant to David Stern and now Adam Silver. He traveled the world to teach the game's values and he made a positive impact on young people everywhere. He got along with everybody, but if you crossed him, uh, he was going to stand up for himself um, and, and go from there for sure, for sure. So Bob Lanier, um, 
a great ambassador. Really, really cool. Really, really cool. Uh, Caesars Sportsbook has LSU as a three and a half point favorite in the Tigers season opener against Florida State. Um, when you think of all the unknowns, you think of the fact that Florida State will already have one game under their belt prior to taking on LSU. I think that says pretty good. Now, LSU is in their home away from home in the Superdome. So uh, they expect this to be a close game. A close game. Bet Rivers Sportsbook released their SEC futures and win totals yesterday. And they have LSU's win total at a paltry six and a half. I am betting the ranks that LSU covers and beats that. I'm betting the over on that one. Um, I think LSU falls out of bed and wins wins seven, eight games. I just do. I just think they have the talent. Uh, and I think they have a really, really good coach who's really, really smart. And he's going to make sure of it. I, you know, I just I would be shocked if LSU went through a seven and six, six and seven kind of year. I would be I would be stunned uh, to say the very, very least. So um, keep an eye uh, keep an eye on that one uh, for sure. We are brought to you by Cajun Chef. Um, Their Cajun Chef hot sauce. uh, It's a labor of love passed down from generation to generation to generation of the Beard family. They've kept it in-house right there in St. Martinville. Um, Boy, they do a tremendous job. And you can find their products uh, at your favorite supermarket. You can find it at your favorite restaurant. Uh, Do like I do. Bring a small bottle with you wherever you go because everything tastes better with Cajun Chef hot sauce on it. A long-time generational um, standpoint. Uh, Cajun Chef, uh, it it is absolutely the best. The best, by all means. Um, Okay, let's see. Updated score. It's now in the bottom of the night still. uh, Mississippi State 7 LSU four. We'll get you a final score on that one. Maybe uh, after this next timeout, this is the Jordy Helpert show on the game. One Oh three, seven Lafayette, one Oh four, one Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports stations. Stick around. Jordy Holberg was draining three pointers with ease way before Steph Curry came on the scene or was even born. Now, back to the Jordy Holberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, it's a final in Gainesville. Mississippi State 7, LSU 4. Mississippi State advances to the next round. They'll take on Tennessee. LSU will pack their bags, head back to Baton Rouge, and await their softball regional fate as uh, dictated by the NCAA selection committee. We shift gears now to, um, oh, it's a great, great time of the year if you're an NBA fan or if you really like basketball. It's the best of the best, although last night's scores would dictate otherwise um, as the home teams just destroyed uh, one another. Uh, my goodness gracious, it was no contest. Uh, but let's talk NBA hoops with my my good friend uh, who does a great job for At The Bird Rights, the one and only Mr. Ali Cassell. Ali, good afternoon, buddy. How are you? I'm doing great, Jordy, and you're absolutely right. This is a great time of the year if you're a basketball fan, especially an NBA fan. These playoffs have been great, even though last night, you're right, it was an aberration. 
they weren't competitive games, but mostly they have been. Yeah. Um, Miami wins by 35 over Philadelphia. Phoenix wins by 30 over Dallas. Um, you know, they say the series doesn't start until they, uh, the road team wins. Well, the road team hadn't won a game yet. And so it looks like they might both go seven. I don't know. I don't know how Philadelphia bounces back after that loss. Um, it's crazy. Um, does Philadelphia bounce back? Can they make it go seven against Miami? Well, if Joel Embiid scores, say, a lot more than 17 points, and then James yeah. Harden, of course, approaches that 30-point game he had in the no. prior game. I mean, last night, what do you have, like 13, 14 points? That's not enough. Yeah. Your two stars for Philly have got to show up. So I would assume they will, right? This just depends how will Miami play, right? Because Jimmy Butler talked about how – he wants this series to be over, and usually this guy, when he starts talking like that, the rest of his team follows. So I'm expecting for Miami to close things out in Philly. I do too. I just think they're uh, they're tougher mindset. I think they're in a better yeah. place, and I, I love how they play and uh, how Bam Adebayo does what he does. They got shooters. Uh, maybe they got too many shooters. Uh, who's my boy that uh, Robinson doesn't even get off the bench anymore and play hardly? Boy, he'd look good in the Pelly's uniform, I think. He would if he didn't make so much money, I would say. And let's be yeah. honest, the reason he's not playing, Jordy, is because he, he's become very one-dimensional, right? right? He's really out there just to make threes. He's not giving anything defensively on the glass and, in, you know, playmaking departments. As for Max Struess, he, he, he's a lot more active. You know, I think he had a double-double yep. in that game in that win against the Philadelphia Sixers, right? He grabbed 10 boards. I mean, that, 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 you've got to be able to do a lot more things than just shoot the ball, I think, is what we're learning if you want to be on a good competitive contender like the Miami Heat. You're right. There's no question about it. And, and Dallas, uh, boy, Luca and Jalen Brunson, they need some help. They're, they're kind of a two-man band, and uh, they get no help from, from uh, the rest of their starting lineup. Um, and coming off the banks, they didn't get much help either. Only 80 points last night got outscored 33 to 14 coming out of the, uh, the halftime break in the third quarter. And that was all she wrote, boy. Um, kind of wants Phoenix to win makes, makes my Pelicans look better. Yeah. That was such a miserable second half. I mean, my goodness, it was competitive in the first half, but I'll be honest, Dallas didn't make their open shots, even in that first half. And that's something they did when they were in games for games three and four in Dallas. So that's really just that, – that's the recipe for Dallas. They've got to make those open shots when Lucas creating or Jalen Brunson for the rest of the guys. Because remember what Finney Smith did in game four? It was incredible. I think he made yeah. eight threes or something like that. So while I don't think they need eight threes, they need at least some, right? I mean, I think they made a total as a team, Dallas, that is eight. That's not going to win it because that's a big part of their game. And I think they will bounce back. I think, unlike Philly, I think Dallas going home, and they play so well there in games three and four. Right. I think they're going to take this series to seven, even though I'm, I'm with you. I'd like to see the Pellies and the Dallas Mavericks only get two wins, right, against the Suns. Right. That makes you feel better if you're a New Orleanian. I'm with you. Boy, it sets up what should be a, a really, really good NBA Western Conference Finals because Golden mm -hmm. State is going to beat Memphis. Uh, John Morant has a bone bruise. His, his playoff return is very, very doubtful at best, and they lead that series three games to one. Uh, but, boy, Milwaukee-Boston, uh, boy, that, does that have seven games written all over it? Mm -hmm. It certainly does. And, uh, look, Giannis has played out of this world. I don't think we've seen the best out of Tatum yet. So I'm expecting for Jason Tatum to drop one of those 40 bombs or more uh, yeah. coming up here soon because it is it's turned into a best of three 
and Boston's got that home court advantage. Right. You know, I picked Milwaukee before the series started, Jordy, but I've changed my tune. Watching how Boston's played, and I feel like, again, they haven't played their best. That's where Giannis has just been incredible, and mm-hmm. Milwaukee's just tied, you know, it's 2-2 that series. I think Boston's going to come out. I really do. I mean, Horford, I know he, you can't expect 30 points from him no. again, but but Jalen no. Brown, Tatum, and then Robert Williams contributing again. Marcus Smart. I just like that team better. They're playing better, right? They closed I, I out this I, regular I, I season mid- the last three months on a really good note. I think we're going to see that side of Boston, Milwaukee. They're missing Chris Middleton. I think that's going to hurt them. Yeah, I think that's really, really hurtful for Milwaukee. Middleton does so many things well for them, not only offensively, but on the the defensive end. And and he seems to be a steadying influence. So I think that really hurts. I I still say whoever wins the Milwaukee-Boston series is going to win the Eastern Conference Championship. I just think those two teams are better uh, than Miami or Philadelphia. Agree? Yeah, I completely agree. That's something I've been saying since the start of the playoffs, and I even picked the champion to come from this matchup. So I'm I'm going one step beyond you. I think that whoever these two teams, Boston or Milwaukee, gets to the finals, they're going to beat either Phoenix, likely Phoenix or Golden State. Yeah. Huh, okay. Picking the East to win it all. Okay. Um, We know that the Pelicans have the Lakers uh, pick. It's – and (laughs) – I guess if every if a miracle happens, they could get the number one pick in the draft. Let's just play hypothetical. And, and you know, we've gotten Anthony Davis with the first pick. We've gotten Zion Williamson with the first pick. If the Pelicans had the first pick in this draft, with all the players that you've seen and have heard of, who would you pick with the number one pick for the best fit for what the Pelicans already have in place that would take them to another level up um, as far as playoff? Um, uh, contenders are concerned. Jabari Smith, my guy. I think that he can play a lot of five for you on this level of the NBA. He's not done growing. You know, he's 6'10", has an arm span well over seven feet. And while shot blocking, he didn't really show it off in Auburn. Remember, he played a lot of four. He he was playing next to a big, true center in Auburn. So I think he's going to keep growing because his skill set, his athleticism, his IQ, it's all, to me, off the charts. Getting him here in New Orleans would be fantastic. They would now not need to rely on Jonas Valanciunas, who we saw his shortcomings right through the year. I feel like that's a position they need to upgrade, try and upgrade the most over the next few years or so. And Jabari Smith, he could really help that. I wish I could buy a Chet Holmgren. I love you know, what a defender he was in, in, with Gonzaga, but I just don't think all that's going to translate. He's just too slight a frame for me, uh, Jordy Tour. I, I just don't trust that, and plus his offensive game. It's still really raw. As for Jabari Smith, he can make a jumper from anywhere for you. Or he yep. can go ahead and get you some points, big big man points, down low. I don't have that same comfortableness with a homegrim. Very good. I like the pick. Um, the chances are slim to none, but as long as slim is alive, we'll we'll keep hope alive. Um, Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights. Um, do you believe Jackson Hayes will be a Pelican next year? It's a toss-up. Because, look, he has a chance to sign an extension this offseason. I know that the Pelicans, based on what they've seen, wouldn't offer anything close to a max for him. But the question is, what would he sign it for? And even if it's, they can come kind of to the – settle in on the same ballpark range, right? Maybe somewhere in the 12 to $13 million a year. I'm not exactly sure where it is. But usually mm-hmm. players, even if they've underperformed, right, they get paid more on their second contracts because people expect that, that potential to bloom, and you kind of pay for that. Well, with Jackson, I just don't know where it's going to come from. One, we haven't really seen it. 
I know there's been glimpses. Number two, if Zion's, and it looks by, you know, from any angle, Thank he's going to be in the Pelicans uniform and happy about it. He's going to be yeah. spending, what, over 30 minutes a game at the four, right? Power forward position. Where's Correct. Jackson going to play? That's his exactly. best position. And so suddenly, what, you're going to pay and you're going to extend a guy that's not going to even get 18 minutes a game, right? We see he can't play center. That's, there's no. a good reason why Larry Nance is here. That's why they've held on to Willie Hernan Gomez and why I think they'll probably pursue an upgrade for Jonas Valanciunas, like I, I mentioned, Jabari Smith. Jackson's just not that guy. So if they can find the right deal, and I don't know what that right deal is, Jordan, you basically trade him in because you're, you're so expensive on the books now. You trade it for like future picks that you can then use for, you know, whether to upgrade your roster or just get another mm-hmm. asset that way down the road. Or do you trade him for somebody that can help you now? I'm not sure. But I know that they'll probably kick the tires because his name was in the trade rumor mill, right, before yep. the last deadline. So I expect that to continue. Is Devontae Graham, has he has he just um, put himself to the, to the point where, you know, does anybody want him? Because I would say you could package the two of them um, and try and get something in return because um, I, I agree 1,000%. Where are you going to play Hayes? Where are you going to play Jackson Hayes? He's not going to get minutes. He's just not. Mm-hmm. And Devontae Graham showed me, man, he, 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 he just didn't pan out. Garrett Temple in all likelihood is going to retire. He's not going to be a Pelican either way. Um, so can you put something together and get something in return, is, I guess is my, is my question. I would certainly pursue that personally yeah you're not the only one jordan i think the majority of fans that follow this team have been trying to come up with packages where you include both of these players at least one of them but Devonte graham is on everybody's short list out of town yeah. because look he had one good shooting month and that was in really in towards the end of november and all of december after that he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn right. and honestly he didn't give you anything else and then he was also taking minutes away from jose alvarado and that just yeah. can't be allowed to happen you know moving forward but I've heard rumors that the Pelicans aren't going to shop him. You know, he is on a team-friendly kind of contract in terms of he's just making $11 million. And you're right, maybe he bounces back. Because if he would, three-point shooting is what this team absolutely needs. They finished 27th in the league overall in, in that department. So if he could get back to where he was, well, then he would provide value. And this is especially important because if the Pelicans can't add another shooter, well, it's hard to let one go that can space the floor for you, right, when Zion's out there and the other guys. And lastly, here's the thing. You just mentioned it. How tradable is Devontae right now? you got to think there's no value around there. So the best right. bet is maybe to save face and to say, look, we're keeping him. He had a bad year, but we still trust him because guess what? You can't get anything in return for him. So yeah. if I'm the Pelicans, chances are you're probably going to be hanging on to him despite what the rest of us are talking about. Yeah. Uh, I keep hearing the name Herter um, uh, being mentioned out there with the uh, Atlanta Hawks, correct? Um, what are your thoughts on him? I like him, and yet David Griffin likes him too. He was rumored to be after him at the last trade deadline before the uh, deal panned out to get C.J. McCollum. Um, you know, I'm mixed. There's a lot of people that really like Herter. I think he's okay. I've watched enough Atlanta games to where I'm not overly impressed. He can space the floor. He'll have those odd games where he'll you know, put up 25 points, can dish out eight assists, and grab you some rebounds. He's a decent defender because of his length, but he's not mm-hmm. a good one. You know, he's not the type of player, if we're, and if we're going to be serious, the Pelicans are a championship contender now, or, mm-hmm. or they should be. They should be thinking like that. Where's Herder going to be? He's not going to be your starter. There's, there's no way he's going to jump ahead of, what, C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, and uh, Herb Jones. And, and then off the bench, he's expensive, 
right? I think he just signed an extension, and he's going to be making, what is it, about $15 million or so a year. So it's tough for me to bite onto that and accept that. Yeah, $14.5 million. I just looked it up while I'm talking to you. So, no, I don't think Herter's your guy. You want to keep young, cheap talent right on the bench, and he's just he's not going to be adding more wins to this team, I feel like. So, no, that's not a guy I would pursue. So where does the three-point shooting come from with this roster? I mean, you're, you're, you're throwing caution to the wind with Devontae Graham. Um, okay, um, McCollum, absolutely. Other than that, who are you comfortable with? Yeah, that's huge. I mean, again, it sounds like they're going to go ahead and give Devontae another chance. So you got to pencil him in for at least being able to space the floor enough, maybe get up to that 38 to 40% range. Because he's been decent, right? And Charlotte, I've watched enough of those games. He wasn't the guy we saw last year. I'm not sure what happened to him last year. I've had some people tell me his injuries that affected him, and he did have a lot of nagging foot problems and such, so maybe that held him back. But okay. you're right. They do need more shooting. I just don't think the route is to go pay $15 million for a guy that's going to be getting 20, 25 minutes off the bench at the most because you're going to be developing Trey Murphy. And on top of that, next year, Jordy, they're going to be about $7.5 million from the luxury tax. Um, and, and that's basically bumping your head right up against that level where yep. are you sure you're going to go past it? Because Miss Benson probably wants to see a real legitimate winner before she's going to be paying the tax. So right. getting a hurt or somebody like that's going to knock you over. So you got to find somebody cheap. Maybe get somebody through the draft. They, hey, they've become very good at drafting people, right? So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But you got to find somebody cheap if you're going to keep most of these main guys for next season. What's the future for Kyra Lewis, in your opinion? I think he's going to be a very good backup in this league. I really do. I think we saw enough of him before his injury hit, right, to where he showed such a burst and he was utilizing it to get to the rim or set up others. You know, his numbers really jumped off the page for me when when you looked at, like, his last 10-11 games when he became a solid fixture in that lineup before the injury. And I think that's his potential. Remember, he's just 21. I think Mm -hmm. he's going to get that shot because he, he had a decent shot in Alabama. I just think learning the NBA game, having a pandemic, everything just being so irregular ever since he's become a pro really set him back. But I see the talent there. I really do. He's that great change of guard pace that I think this team could use, right? While I love Alvarado, I don't think he has what Kyra could give you offensively. And that is a guy that would be a one-man fast break. He'd be so fast. You know, he, he could lead second teams. As for Jose, you trust more defensively. I think Kyra could be a guy you could trust offensively, whether it's with the Pelicans or not. Could they play the two of them in the backcourt, or are they too small? You got to think that's too small. I mean, I know Kyra's, yeah. what, 6'2", six, 6'3", six, but he's so slight of frame. And right. Jose Alvarado, yeah, he hope bang with some, you know, we saw shooting guards. He doesn't care who he yeah. mixes it up against. But yeah. his best position, of course, is guarding the point guards and nagging the heck out of, like, the Chris Pauls of the world. So that's the problem. If, yeah, if, if you keep both of these guys, how do you get them out there in the court? Because yeah. we didn't like – and Willie Green didn't like playing Devontae Graham with either CJ or Jose – all too much last season. So you're right. Right. That is a problem moving forward. Uh, He's kind of like Jackson Hayes. Where does he find minutes? How does he get better if he's sitting on the bench all the time? Because he's not passing up Alvarado and he's not taking McCollum's minutes. So uh, we shall see. I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah, um, Jordy, real quick, I just want to add something to that real quick. We've got to remember Kyra's coming off a major injury. So I don't think we can expect him to be ready to be battling for serious earnest minutes, right? I think he's going to take at least half of the season. So, Let's see if Jose Alvarado pans out. There's been more than enough rookies that come in this league where, okay, they had an explosive rookie season, but it somehow doesn't work after that. So having Kyra as a backup is, like I said, going to be taking his time coming back from injury. And remember, he's just entering his third year. 
So you're in no rush to have to worry about his second contract yet either. I'm with you. Um, Ali Cassell at the Bird Rights. Let's go back to that draft uh, with Zion, number one, John Morant, number two. The, they're two opposite ends of the spectrum. There's no question about their ability and their superstardom. One is big and and strong and carries a lot of weight. The other one's very pencil thin um, and carries little weight. Both of them <laughs> take the ball hard to the basket. Both of them draw a lot of contact, a lot of fouls, a lot of body abuse. Five years from now, who has the better career? Who lasts longer, the heavy dude or the pencil thin dude? Oh, my goodness. You're putting me on the spot. I have no <laughs> idea. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> But look, I would actually bet on Zion. He's already gone through, I feel like, his injury nexus, right, where he, he didn't take care of his body. And he saw the results of that. And I think this has really opened his eyes, or at least you think it should. And, and it, by all accounts, it sounds like he's really you know, changing his approach. Now he's got the right teammates, the right coach, everything in place for him to succeed. And boy, did you see the pictures from Duke social media on Twitter? He, no. he looks absolutely in great shape. And his arms, he's 21 years old, and he looks like he's you know, ready for the weightlifting contest or something. I don't <laughs> think anybody's going to be able to hurt that guy out there. Yeah. That's where Ja, yeah, Jordy, look, he played 57 games this past season. And while he's played 100 more than Zion over there three years, I feel safer picking, I think, Zion on having a better career from this point forward because I think he's going to be on the court more. Ja, he's still flying around too much to where you feel comfortable that He's going to be able to avoid those major injuries, right? I mean, it's hard for me to believe in, in, with his mentality. He's going to want to change his game to slow it down and be more careful, right? He's got that Russell Westbrook all about him, but yeah. he doesn't have the body. So I really worry about his future. All right, we shall see. Uh, Milwaukee, Boston night. Who you got? I'm going to go with Boston. They're back home. Right. I think Tatum's going to explode. All right. Golden State wraps things up against Memphis, or does Memphis steal one at their home? You know, I think Memphis gave them their all in the last game, but they yeah. just couldn't make a shot. It's a shame because Golden State didn't shoot the ball well, and that, that game was there for the taking for Memphis, yeah. and they didn't. So I think by losing that and just knowing that John Morant is not coming back, most likely this playoffs, it's, it's going to be the nail in the coffin tonight. Golden State's going to advance. I'm with you. Ali Cassell from At The Bird Rights. Thank you, my friend. Always, always fun talking with you, buddy. We'll uh, enjoy the playoffs. Absolutely. Take care, Jordy. All right. Um, the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House. We want to help you take your lady out for some delicious seafood. But you can only win that $50 gift certificate to the Half Shell Oyster House by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Back to wrap up our number one after this timeout. The Jordy Helper Show on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports station. He's been a star on the hardwood and in the broadcast chair. So what's the secret to the Blonde Bomber's success? Easy. Taking time to work on his tan. You look marvelous. Back to more of the tanned and talented Jordy Holtberg on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, speaking of the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, we're going to hook you up with a ride tickets for the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome. 
May 26th to June the 5th. Text CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. That's CHSF to 68683 to win a family four-pack of ride tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair. Just one of the many things, many opportunities you have if you join um, the clubhouse, plain and simple. And um, you don't even have to join the clubhouse for this one, but there's so many opportunities uh, for you to uh, to win and win big. Uh, our number two, Chris Rose for Glue, will join us. We'll talk more about the Saints and the NFL. And then Mike Huguenin uh, will join me from On3.com for his weekly Hump Day with Huguenin segment as we talk all things college sports, whether it be football, basketball, baseball, whatever it is. He is a walking thesaurus when it comes to college sports. It's really, really uh, remarkable. We're brought to you by Cajun Chef, the best hot sauce on the planet. This is the Jordy Hilfer Show, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports station. One hour down, one hour to go on this Wednesday, May the 11th, 2022. Back after this. Live and local, this is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Open for the end zone. It's a Saints touchdown. Streaming live on 1037 The Game mobile app and online at 1037thegame.com. This is the Jordy Holtberg Show. Hey, baby, we're going to be here all day. Call us up at 337-706-0111. I like this kind of party. Now, here's your host, Jordy Holtberg. It's our number two of two, and away we go. The Jordy Holtberg Show brought to you by Cajun Chef, the best hot sauce on the planet. My main man, James Mesh, back in the master control suite in the game studios, which are on the campus of Delta media, which houses KLWB, which is one Oh three seven Lafayette. We're also on with our good friends in Lake Charles, one Oh four one in Lake Charles, which streaming one Oh three seven, the game.com one Oh four one, the game.com. And in the Acadiana area will simulcast on television, one thirty three on uh, 32.3 stadium, one thirty three on LUS fiber so we're here we are there and we are everywhere tomorrow we'll find out the nfl schedule according to um one source nfl week number three how about this one the cincinnati bengals at the new orleans saints with a uh, nbc prime time kickoff um might be a couple of lsu fans in that one in the superdome the bengals at the saints week three of the NFL schedule. Wow. 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 Um, lots of talk now, lots of conjecture about uh, the Pelicans and wh- 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 where are they going to end up drafting? What pick are they going to have? Are they going to be a get lucky and be a top four pick? Um, are they going to be no worse than eight or nine? Um, we, we shall see. Uh, lots of speculation for a team that a lot of people are um, buying now buying and um that would be pretty good 
because uh, this is a team that's got, it's only going to get better and better. And it seems like Zion is, is all in. Um, and uh, that's good. Now the question is, are they going to offer him that full max contract or something close to the full max contract? They're going to offer him the full max, right? They're going to do that. I don't know if there's any question or doubt and he'll sign it and then he'll be locked in and that will be terrific. SEC softball tournament underway. It went extra innings. LSU tied it with two runs in the bottom of the seventh to send it to extra innings. It was a scoreless eighth inning in the ninth. Mississippi State garnered three runs. Uh, LSU came up empty in the ninth, and Mississippi State wins it seven to four. Uh, the Bulldogs had 12 hits, no errors. LSU four runs, six hits, two errors in the in the ball game. Uh, so Mississippi State survives and advances. They'll play Tennessee tomorrow at 11. LSU's SEC tournament run is over, and they will head back to Baton Rouge. They will certainly, with their RPI and their ranking, they will be one of the uh, regional hosts. Just depends on uh, who comes to Baton Rouge and Tiger Park for that. So we shall see. The Raging Cajuns were winners last night against Rice. Um, really uh, just took care of business. They'll try to sweep the Owls today before they head over to San Marcos with momentum on their side um, and a chance to catch the league-leading uh, Texas State Ball Club if they can win that series. So they'd have to sweep it to catch them uh, and surpass them, uh, and we can see. We, we shall see. They're swinging the bats really good. Uh, Pitching settled down. So the Cajuns are a team on the rise. Uh, and we will see what happens with them. You heard in the NBA playoffs last night, it was really uh, just uh, no contest uh, as the home teams dominated last night. Miami beat Philadelphia by 35, 120 to 85. Um, they just they just took care of business. Embiid and um, James Harden limited to a com- combined 31 points. Heck, for the Sixers to win, Embiid's got to get 31 points on his own. Uh, it can't go like that. Balanced scoring for the Heat. All five starters in double figures, led by Jimmy Butler's 23. Uh, off the bench, Victor Oladipo had 13. Tyler Hero had 10. So they had seven in double figures. Uh, they outscored Philadelphia by tw- uh, 31 to 19 in the first quarter. Everything was kind of even throughout then. And then in the fourth quarter, uh, the Sixers waved the white flag of surrender and Miami outscored them 39 to 19 to make it a 35 point blowout. And now Miami with a three games to lead to two lead in that best of seven series as it heads back to Philadelphia for game six. Meanwhile, the Phoenix Suns with no problems over the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas led by three after one. Phoenix led by three at the half, and then they came out of the second half, into the second half, third quarter, outscored Dallas 33-14 to in route to a 110-80 victory overall. Um, only 80 points. Luka Doncic with 28, Jalen Brunson with 21, and that's it basically for for Dallas. Nobody else even stepped up. Meanwhile, Devin Booker had 28. Uh, Aiton had 20. Bridges had 14. Johnson had 14. Just balanced scoring across the board for uh, the Phoenix Suns. Chris Paul only took eight shots. He got seven points, but he did have 
uh, 10 assists and a steal. And so now the Phoenix Suns in control of that series, three games to two as it heads back to Dallas. Two games on the docket tonight. Uh, boy, all eyes on Boston as they host Milwaukee with that series tied at two games apiece. I think, uh, man, the winner of this series may end up being the uh, the NBA champion before it's all said and done. And then the nightcap tonight, Golden State with a three games to one advantage over the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant has a bone bruise. His play, he's going to miss um, the game tonight. Uh, and it's doubtful that he returns for the remainder of the playoffs. So he underwent an MRI, revealed the extent of the injury, um, a bone bruise in his right knee. And so that's a tough blow for uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. He's expected to make a full recovery, but is it going to be in time to, to see this team uh, survive in advance, even though Memphis went 20 and five without Morant this season? Um, you know, they had they had the game in hand the last time out before losing um, in that one, uh, 101 to 98. Uh, and look, Golden State still hadn't played to their best ability. They're still not shooting the ball like like they're capable of shooting. So so we'll have to wait and see on that one. So those are your headlines of the day. Um, when we return after this timeout, we will talk about the New Orleans Saints. Um, is this, is there a better defense on paper than what the Saints present? And if there is, who is it? Um, we'll, we'll debate that with uh, Chris Rosevoglue after this timeout. This is the Jordy Helper Show on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 11th, 2008. Sergio Garcia of Spain claims the biggest win of his career to date in a sudden-death playoff over American Paul Goidos at PGA Players' Championship held at TPC at Sawgrass. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, let's talk a little NFL and New Orleans Saints with our good friend for The Spun and SI Now Saints podcast for Boot Crew Media. Um, And I think, as I saw, it's called Straight Up Saints Podcast. I love it. Uh, our good friend Chris Rose for glue. Christopher, happy Wednesday, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, Jordy. Happy Wednesday to you. Hope everything's doing well for you. All right. Uh, we've got all the picks in. We 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 we've got uh, we got a kind of feel for this thing. Uh, I'm curious now that we uh, uh, have have done what we think is going to upgrade our passing game with Chris Olave and a healthy Michael Thomas. What do you think are realistic expectations for one Jameis Winston? What does he have to do to uh, aid and abet this team? You know, I think one thing he might have to do is similar to what we saw last year, taking care of the football. Obviously, that's going to be a big part of it. You don't want to go into a season where your quarterback has a high turnover number. And I, I don't think that would be the case. I think Jameis has definitely learned from uh, what kind of transpired in 2019. But 
I, I do think one thing he's going to have to do more than what we saw last year, and I'm not going to blame him, the personnel last year just wasn't optimal for him, is pushing the ball downfield. Now you have Chris Olave, who you know we kind of discussed about it previously. We, we expect him to be a perimeter wide receiver. You have him out on the boundary and expect him to make plays downfield, and that's something that Jameis Winston is obviously going to benefit from because he is a quarterback who can really stretch the field with his arms. So I think he needs to take a couple more shots down the field. And I think more importantly, which will help his numbers, because last year we saw the passing yards number one great. If Michael Thomas is healthy, that's going to be a good security blanket over the middle of the field, keep the chains moving. And I think for the Saints, there was a big issue with sustaining drives towards the I'd say throughout the whole year, not even just the beginning of the year. And a lot of that had to do with getting themselves in tough situations, third and long, and then not having the receiver count overcome it. So I think Jameis has to kind of do a mix of taking what the defense gives you, which he did last year, but also kind of push the ball a little bit more because you're not going to have to worry about having everything on your shoulders. This is a well-balanced football team with a strong defense. So I think for Jameis, anywhere, I would say, you know, my comparison I made for him recently about this can he play similar to the way that Ryan Tannehill's played in Tennessee? And if he could do that, I think That'd the Saints would be just fine. Yeah, that would be that would be outstanding. Um, it appears to me that the biggest glaring position of need now is the running back position. According to reports, the Saints are going to be releasing Josh Adams. He'd been with the Saints since signing as a member of their practice squad back in November. Who is out there that you think is uh valuable that could help this team I look and this is all predicated upon Alvin Kamara having to miss some time right so you got to get somebody in case he does who's out there you know I actually think there are a couple of options out there that intrigue the Saints I think the one that makes the most sense in terms of he probably uh, is the best option available I think it has to be Daryl Williams the former LSU player yeah. from the Kansas City Chiefs I mean he's he's a guy who last year when Clyde Edwards-Alaire went down, he really stepped up. He had over a 1,000 scrimmage yards last season. I thought he played some of his best football, and he's still just 27 years old. I think that's the type of player that the Saints can bring in, and if Kamara misses time, I think he can step up. And if Kamara doesn't miss time, then this is just another weapon to add to your offense, yeah. and he's really good around the goal line. That could be a benefit. I, I think a player, uh, maybe not as intriguing of a name, but I think very serviceable is a player like Devontae Booker. I thought he was the Giants' best running back last year. He's a good pass protector. He's a decent receiver out of the backfield. I think those are attributes the Saints certainly love. And then I think if you're going for maybe a little bit of a, a high-risk, high-reward, I think a player like Tariq Cohen, he's been out of football for the last year and a half due to an ACL injury. But if the Saints want to take a shot on him, and we saw in 2018 he was really, really productive. He had over 70 catches, over 700 receiving yards. Getting a player like that, we've seen the Saints have success with smaller 50 running backs before. So I think there are more than a couple of running backs out there on the market where if the Saints are looking for a guy on a one-year deal to provide an impact and maybe take on a bigger workload if Kamara misses time, I think they have options. God, I like Daryl Williams. I didn't even know about him. I think he's really good. Yeah, he, he is a fantastic player, and I think he's the type of guy that if you're the Saints, you obviously are going to sit there and maybe explore what his market is, and maybe he's asking for too much, and that's why he's still available. But he's just 27. I really think he hasn't played his best football yet. So if you could bring a guy like that into the fold, with Kamara on the field, with Kamara off the field, whatever the case might be, I mean, that's a player who I, could, I think would make an immediate impact. And I know he's had interest from teams like the Cardinals, but still no contract, and we're, we're entering the middle of, the wow. May, of May. So it's kind of interesting wow. as to why he's still on the open market. 
I think they'd move him ahead of um, uh, Mark Ingram. I think he's better. I, I, I totally agree, Jordy. You know, I, I was kind of talking about it yesterday with a couple of Saints fans on Twitter, and I was like, you know, if they bring him in the building, if he plays the way he played last year, he's immediately running back too. And for the Saints, what a luxury that would be because if this running game gets going, that's even less pressure on Jameis Winston and more towards that ball control offense, which would really allow them to lean on the defense. So I, I think it would be a win-win for all parties. It would also be a win for LSU Saints fans, get a little yeah. bit of, of that home blood back involved. So I'd love to see it happen. Whether or not it will, though, is a different story. Yeah, we'll see. Um, are you on the Jarvis Landry train? Do you, do you think that's a good fit, or do you think he seems to me to be Michael Thomas Part 2, the same kind of guy? Um, is there any smoke to that? Is there any fire to that smoke or whatever? I mean, I think that for the Saints, they've definitely showed interest in the past. I think it's no secret that Jarvis Landry is someone that they've had on their radar. I think the question is how much are they willing to spend because it's becoming more apparent by the day that Jarvis Landry, wherever he goes, it's it's not going to be as significant of a pay cut as some fans might want him to take, whether that's him ending up on the Saints or him talking to the Packers or even the Ravens who have expressed interest the last couple of weeks, which makes sense now that they lost Marquise Brown. I think for Jarvis Landry, he's looking to play on a, a team that's considered a contender, but also get paid pretty handsomely for it. So I think for New Orleans, it comes down to a couple things, uh, but none more important than how confident are you in Michael Thomas's recovery? Because you mentioned it, him and Michael Thomas kind of do the same thing. They're possession receivers, dominant over the middle of the field. And if the Saints feel like Michael Thomas is back to 100%, and I know Dennis Allen said he had some hurdles to get over, but if they feel comfortable about where he'll be at in July for training camp, I don't know if you really have to go push all your chips to the center of the table and get Jarvis Landry. Now, if you're not feeling too comfortable about Michael Thomas, right. then that changes the equation. And I think that yeah. you've got to be a little bit more aggressive in your pursuit of Jarvis Landry because I still think he has good football left. But um, mm-hmm. I think for the Saints, if you feel good about Michael Thomas, you can go get a cheaper veteran option in the building uh, like an Emmanuel Sanders who's played here before or a Cole Beasley, you know, guys out there who are still serviceable, just won't make you, you know, cost an arm and a leg to get him. But yeah. I think Jarvis Landry, there's definitely interest, but the price part is a big factor in all this. Very good. Uh, Chris Roseville, kind enough to join us. Uh, all right, so Teran Matthew comes and joins the Saints. Um, on paper, is how many, how many defenses out there do you think are better than the Saints? Not many. Not yeah. many. You know, I look around, and I think from an NFC perspective, there's no better defense in the division. I feel strongly about that. You know, I yeah. look around, I think teams like the Rams, they got firepower on defense, but I don't think they have the depth like the Saints, so that gives them that added bonus. And, you know, if I flip it over to the AFC, you know, there are teams that will impress me. I do think the Colts have a very strong defense. I think that we're going to see good defense out of the Bills just like we did last year. But yeah. I, I think for the Saints, it all comes down to that safety spot. If, there's, if the safeties they brought in and Marcus May and you know Tyron Matthew, they come out and they're on the same page and they're playing well in Dennis Allen's system, I really don't expect to see a huge drop-off. And I actually expect to see an increase in, in tenacity because they did bring in two hard-hitting safeties, two guys that have no problem going downhill. And I think that's something that will give them a boost. And they've also made some savvy additions, whether it's bringing Contavious Street or adding Jordan Jackson to the defensive line. So I think for the Saints, I look around the league, and and they have to, in my opinion, at this point in time on paper, have to be at least a top-five defense. And then it's a matter of preference as to what position groups you like better from other teams. But this this defense has definitely the talent 
uh, to be Super Bowl caliber. And a smart defense with Demario Davis. Matthew, is his football IQ is off the chart. And that secondary with Lattimore, um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, uh, Matthew, uh, man, I, I, man, they got a lot of swag to them, man. I, I, that's a fun secondary to watch. It absolutely is. And I think the, the really impressive thing about the Saints is the fact that they went all in on the secondary this year. You know, when they lose Marcus Williams, I thought it would have been easier for them to be like, it's fine, we have pieces around. But, you know, we talked about it. They, they go out and get Marcus May. They re-sign P.J. Williams. They go out and get the Honey Badger. They draft yeah. Delonte Taylor. It's like they, they take his strength and they amplify it. And I think for some teams, they feel pretty comfortable about a position group and they feel like they don't need to add more talent. The Saints are telling you you can never have enough DBs in, in a league that loves to throw the football. I don't blame them. So I, I am so excited to see this position group go to work. And what a complete 180. I, I remember around like 2016, we're, we're wondering what do the Saints have in the secondary? And now we're looking around and thinking, you know, a good player might get cut in August when, when they're trying to figure out the 53-man roster. So um, it, it is really intriguing just looking at this secondary, and I'm so excited to see how it all shakes out. Are you convinced the Saints will have a very, very good pass rush, or are you concerned about that? I think it all comes down to health. I think if the Saints are healthy, and in particular if Marcus Davenport's healthy, I think they will have a good pass rush. I think he did some things last year that really impressed me, and I think for the Saints, uh, when, when they picked up his fifth-year option, there was a bit of a question as to whether or not he's worth it. And he comes out and he shows us. He's reached that point in his career where it's not a question of, will he be healthy and can he play football? It's just, will he be healthy? Because we know he can handle the football side of things. So if he is healthy, I expect him to, to really amplify the pass rush. And I look around, I think the Saints have two things going for them. I think they have the addition of Contavious Street, which gives them another defensive tackle who can rush the passer from the inside. And he has history with Coach Ryan Nielsen, so that's an added bonus. And I think Peyton Turner, you know, the Saints got no production out of their first-round pick last year, yeah. and they still had a, a pretty darn good defense. So if he comes out with a whole offseason to prepare and get under this coaching staff and learn more, I'd love to see what he can do because he has the frame and he has the power uh, to be a real difference maker on the defensive line. And, and one more you know, bonus kind of just throw in there, the way Cam Jordan finished the 2021 season, is, that, is there a carryover to that? Because if there is, all of a sudden we're talking about Cam Jordan kind of having a second-half run in his career because he uh -huh. was one of the more dominant defensive ends over the last month and a half of the season. So I do think that the Saints have more than enough firepower to be a really, really disruptive defensive line. It just comes down to health, as always. Who's going to be Demario Davis's sidekick? I think it has to be Pete Werner. And I think Pete Werner kind of convinced the coaching staff that he's ready for it during the Miami Dolphins game on Monday night because that, that was a brutal game to watch and so many players were out because of COVID. And yet Pete Werner manned the defense and he did a really good job. And that was with DeMario out. And that was one of the only games I believe DeMario's missed in a Saints uniform. And I think for Pete Werner, you know, the Saints drafted him with a second-round pick. They saw the potential was there. And, and I think he's the type of linebacker who he might not be particularly – excellent or outstanding in one thing, but he's so steady in everything. And I think the Saints love that he checks so many boxes off. And mm -hmm. the fact that they ha haven't gone out there and made such an aggressive approach to keep Quan Alexander, and part of that is because Quan's market hasn't been that rich, I think the Saints feel really comfortable with Pete Werner. And he did miss some time during training camp last year in the preseason because of injury. So for him to have another offseason just kind of ramp up and get more acclimated to Dennis Allen's system, I, I expect him to be a, a really good running mate. Uh, next to DeMario Davis. Awesome. Chris Rose Vaglu, kind enough to join us. Um, 
the Saints on offense always spearheaded by Sean Payton. And everywhere you go, everybody you talk to, an offensive genius. Um, how confident are you in Pete Carmichael now taking over? And those are big shoes to fill. How confident are you that he can do it? Those are definitely big shoes to fill. And I, I think for Pete, the question is going to be those crunch time situations, right? Because I, I think the yeah. one thing that I loved about Sean Payton the most was you can't tell if it's you know first down in the in the second quarter or if it's fourth down in the fourth quarter. It doesn't matter. The, the mentality doesn't change. He's always aggressive, uh, and I've always loved that about Sean Payton. So I'm curious for Pete when he gets in those situations and it's money time. How does he approach it? But I think that for for him. We've seen him, you know, next to Sean for so many years that I expect some of the offense to stay the same. And I think that's kind of a good thing for the Saints. I, I never thought the system was the problem over the last couple of years where they struggled. I thought it was a lack of talent at receiver or a lack of talent at tight end yeah. or whatever it may be, just the skill position players weren't great. So I think for Pete, we might see one of two things. I think for the Saints, getting back to running the football a little bit better than they have, I think that's something that should be important to them, and I hope they do um, uh, kind of lean towards that, and, and we'll obviously get a sense of it early in the season. But in terms of the offensive passing schemes, I, I think that will mostly remain the same. And I, I think for Pete, if there were worries about him offensively, I think the Saints would have made a change. I think Dennis Allen kind of proved that throughout uh-huh. this offseason, he's not afraid to kind of put his own stamp on the Saints, which obviously you want. You want him to be authentic, and they've made some changes. They brought in a new wide receivers coach. They made a couple of changes, uh, obviously, to the defense. And even the roster, look at how aggressive they were. So I think if they weren't confident in Pete, they would have thought about making a change. They did bring in other play, uh, coaches to kind of interview them and see how they would have their vision for the Saints offense. But I, I would say I have a, a, you know, similar to Pete, I'd have a quiet confidence about what he can do. I, I think he could do a fine job with this group. Awesome. Chris, you're the best. Uh, I mean, you, right on top of all of it. Um, can't wait to see the, the schedule release tomorrow. Uh, Apparently there's a leak out there that says the Bengals are coming in week three to the Superdome. That would be interesting with Burrow and Chase, the, the LSU connection. That'll be a, a packed house. I know they're they're playing the Vikings week four um, uh, across the pond in England. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how this, how this schedule turns out, and maybe we can talk about that down the road. I, I can't wait. And, and to your point, wherever that Bengals-Saints game is, no matter what date it is, I just hope it's a primetime game because that, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, they think it's an NBC uh, prime timer. So we'll see. We will see. Chris, thank you so much, man. Keep up the great work. And it's uh, we're always thrilled to get you on, man. Really are. Thank you so much for having me, Jordy. I appreciate right, it. Buddy. You're the best. Chris Rose for Glue. The game will be broadcasting live from Lake Charles this Saturday for the This Is Home Festival. Under the Dome host, Clint Domain will be broadcasting his show live from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. from Ryan Street in downtown Lake Charles for the This Is Home Festival. There'll be live music all day, food, vendors, beer, and wine. So tune in for Under the Dome, live from Lake Charles this Saturday, or you can swing by and say hello to CD at This Is Home Festival in Lake Charles. Always fun taking the show on the road. Uh, We'll take a quick time out here when we come back. Hump Day with Huguenin on the Jordy Heltberg Show on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, brought to you by Cajun Chef, the best hot sauce on the planet, decidedly different, delectably delicious. We'll be right back. Uh-oh. Do you know what day it is? Huh? Anybody? 
It's time for Jordy to break down the biggest storylines in college athletics with Mike Huguenin of On3.com. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? Here is Hump Day with Huguenin. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. My main man, Michael Huguenin, On3.com. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Doing quite well, thanks. What's happening over there in Orlando these days? Um, not, not much. Once once the magic season ended, there's not a heck of a lot going on here sports-wise. Um, you. you know, everybody's still parsing why the magic are so bad. Is yeah. there any hope? All that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I think it, sports fans everywhere. Um, it, yeah, obviously, it's baseball season. Um, a long way to college football. Um, in fact, I believe we're 158 days wow. from the start of the season. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's these are the 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 dog days of summer when it comes to college football. Uh, LSU opens up with Florida State. Florida State, of course, with a great history in the past, along with Miami and Florida, the big triumvirate in the state of Florida. What what are your thoughts on Florida State this year? Man, they are for the second year in a row. They're counting big time on transfers, um, which I think is sort of an indictment of the recruiting that's been going on in Tallahassee. They have not recruited well. Um, their quarterback Jordan Travis, who's a transfer from Louisville, is a really good running quarterback. A long way to go as a passer. Uh, the offensive line has been a absolute sieve for the last five years. Um, that's going to be interesting to see. They're counting heavily on Jared Verse, a transfer from Albany, to be their main pass rusher. Um, it's a team that lacks proven skill position players. So this is a game, you know, I know there's concerns about LSU's defense uh, and, how, and what's it going to look like offensively, but that's a game I think LSU, um, let's put it this way, if LSU struggles against FSU, uh, that's not a Long good sign. Year. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, Michael Huguenin on three dot com. Momentum is moving within the ACC to remake its football scheduling model. Perhaps even as early as twenty twenty three, they're talking about a three five model, which would give each school three annual opponents while cycling in five new opponents per year. You like that model? I, I think the ACC, like the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, is starting to realize if you have a 14-team league, schedules can grow quite stale if you are hell-bent on playing every team in your division every single season. Um, the division, I think the the NCAA has said that maybe we don't need divisions anymore if you want to have a conference title game. So, you know, the, the, I, think the, I think the SEC will move to a pod system when Texas and Oklahoma get there. And I think the ACC showing, hey, we need to improve our scheduling idea. I think the Big Ten will quickly follow suit. And that's a good thing for, for fans of, of teams uh, everywhere, frankly, because you're going to see presumably, you know, it, again, it gets the, the staleness aspect gets old. If you're an Ohio State fan, Oh my God, we play Maryland every single season. Who cares? Mm-hmm. If you're a Florida mm-hmm. fan, oh, we play Vanderbilt every single season. Who cares? So that kind of stuff's going to change, and that's a good thing. 
Michael Huguenin on three.com. The NCAA unveiled some NIL guidance on Monday in an effort to stem the pay for play recruiting inducements funneled by boosters and collectives. It sounds like it's all bark to me and no bite. It's kind of like the the town where you drive and you know there's no cops Um, ever out there. So nobody ever follows the speed limit. It just seems like a lot of nothing to me. It is. And, you know, you and I have been on your show for a long time now. We always make fun of the NCAA. And it's easy and it's deserved. Um, But I think, you know, you, you look back at some of the things the NCAA got criticized for, and it pales in comparison with how much they've screwed up NIL. First off, it should be five or six years into the NIL era. We're not even a year into it. Um, the idea that they totally abdicated their responsibility, put up basically zero guardrails, is, is ludicrous. Uh, we had a story last week quoting an NIL expert. It's like trying to put toothpaste back into a tube. And if, if, you, if, if you use toothpaste and everybody uses toothpaste, you know there's a time that you've been in your, in your bathroom and you've put your hand down by accident on your toothpaste tube and the toothpaste yeah. squirts out. And you're like, okay, yeah. i got to wipe that up and throw it away because I can't get it back in the tube. Well, that's yeah. sort of like where we are in the NIL period right now. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You're not fixing it. You're not going to be able to jam it back in. So let's not worry about what's happened already. Let's focus on what is coming down the road. So let's put up guardrails for future NIL activities. Um, the idea that there's going to be some kind of magic bullet, so to speak, that the, that Congress is going to save the NSA from itself in terms of NIL is ludicrous. But the, the NCA. I think there's enough coaches and administrators who are irritated that maybe you can put up some minor guardrails and everybody actually will follow them. The NCAA is extremely worried about getting sued and losing again in court, mm-hmm. but I think there are some things that could be done that everybody would agree on that would make things uh, a little make things that would calm the waters in what has become a wild, wild west situation. Give me an example. What would be something that would calm the waters? The idea that if, you know, there there supposedly is a rule. The the one NCA guideline that was put in place was no pay for play. Well, that obviously has been blown out of the water, and you talk to enough lawyers and collectives people, they're like, we've written these contracts that if the NCA takes us to court, they're going to lose, but maybe there is a, for lack of a better term, a gentleman's agreement that you know we got to we got to curb some of this stuff. Um, let's let's make it legitimate. Let's not be giving let's not be giving nil deals to people before they're on campus. Now, if you want to if you want to give them a deal once they're on campus, that's fine. But you know, it's like the eight million dollar deal at, at Tennessee. They're recruiting a kid who they're basically giving an NIL deal to a kid who hasn't even entered his senior year of high school. Crazy. That's the kind of stuff that NIL was not supposed to be about, and that's the kind of stuff that needs to end. 
Golly, Michael Huguenin on three dot com. Can you imagine if they had NIL back in the day what a guy like uh, Johnny Manziel would have commanded? Or, or Herschel. Herschel yeah. Walker, Reggie Bush, uh, Tebow, um, Kevin Falk would have been monstrous. I mean, Kevin Falk was one of those dudes. We wrote about him in the 90s, late 90s, yep. at Sporting News. He's the guy, remember he had the, the signing day news conference at a, yeah. uh, I think it was a like a restaurant in Karen Crow. Yeah, um, yeah. It's so, you know, he would, uh, Fournette would have been a huge pre NIL guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, some of the money that some of these dudes would have made um, is, is, is incredible. God, I just can't even fathom. Cannot even fathom. I mean, five years from now, is this going to be a big deal or are we all just going to settle in? Because he, he, in other words, like here in Louisiana and LSU, you've got, the LSU Alumni Foundation, who's out there, they're a fundraising entity. You've got the Tiger Athletic Foundation that supports the athletic department. That is a fundraising entity, and they take that money and they build improvements to stadiums and, and all that stuff. And now you've got the NIL people, and, and they're all calling the same people, same people. Yeah. to try and, and get the money. So somebody's going to be a- left behind. Yeah, there, there definitely is an undercurrent of angst among ADs because just what you said, um, there, there's a finite supply of true boosters out there with enough money to make gigantic impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want them giving their money to a collective or do you want them giving money to your school to help you upgrade your facilities? Mm-hmm. And there are ADs out there who are worried about that unquestionably because, like you said, if I'm a big booster that's willing to donate $5 million a year, which is a hell of a lot of money, and how yeah. long can that be sustained? But do mm-hmm. I want to give it to a collective or do I want to give it to the school? And, you know, you have some collectives saying our goal is to raise $25 million annually. Well, that's that's I don't know if that's possible. Um, it's, Annually. It's exceedingly huh. interesting to see where this is going. And the market is going to settle, no mm-hmm. question. But again, I mentioned earlier, we should be in like year five or six or eight of the NIL era, and the market already would have settled. But now it's everybody's out there for themselves. And, you know, there's a lot of collectives like the, like the one that John Ruiz runs at Miami that's that's – Oh my goodness! Every time you turn on the, you read something about Miami. Oh, there's John Ruiz giving an NIL deal. Um, there's and there's a bunch of collectives that have been in the news. Um, but you know, interestingly enough, collectives at Ohio State aren't well known. Collectives at mm-hmm. Alabama aren't well known. Collectives mm-hmm. at Texas A&M aren't well known. There are collectives there doing big time work. They're just in the shadows. Yep. And that I like that. You know, the, the shadow economy of college athletics still exists. And now it's a little bit more above board and legal, um, but it's still out there. But again, the idea that there's going to be a quarterback or, well, uh, okay, there's going to be a player at Tennessee that signs an $8 million NIL deal before he gets on campus. That's yes. going to be interesting in the locker room as well. Because, you know, yep. when you played, you knew there were dudes on your team and dudes you played against who were getting money. But it wasn't publicized. Now, the minute these kids walk in the door at their school, 
Oh, yeah, that's the $8 million no. quarterback, or that's the $8 yeah. million dollar running back. It's like Quinn Ewers last year at Ohio State. Oh, yeah, there's the mullet-wearing guy that has a million-dollar NIL deal. That yeah. kind of stuff can engender some no uh, bad feelings. So that's one more thing coaches have to worry about. Yeah, you're exactly right. Michael Hugan and well said on 3.com. I'm curious in this part of the world, uh, Billy Napier did a great job at Louisiana with the Raging Cajuns. Now, of course, he's at the University of Florida. What are the early reports you're hearing about him and how uh, he's trying to change that culture and he's trying to fit in with the swamp and all that? What's the early reports? Yeah, the infrastructure repair has uh, been the big deal. Um, they've increased their recruiting staff size by almost double. Um, he is pressing the flesh and doing a great job. He's much more personable than, than Mullen. Uh, okay. He's willing to go out there and be a backslapper, and that's something that Dan Mullen was not good at. Um, Mullen was a good coach, a good, a really, really, really high-level X's and O's guy um, who did not really like to recruit. Um, I think Napier likes to recruit. I think he understands the importance of recruiting. The question with him is, okay, he was extremely successful in the Sun Belt. Can he be su- extremely successful in the SEC? And I would argue in the Sun Belt, he usually had better players than the opposition. That's uh-huh. certainly not going to be the case this year or next year at Florida. Maybe by year three, it'll be the, the talent disparity will have lessened but he's doing and saying all the right things now the infrastructure aspect certainly has improved um he's made a lot of small changes that players like in terms of the training table um better accommodations in the dorms um you know i i went to the university of florida a long time ago parking's always been a gigantic issue for, for right. on, on campus for students well, he, right. he got special dispensation for football players in terms of parking so they're all ecstatic about that. So he's doing a lot of little things that are that are that are seen as positives, but we're, obviously we're not going to know um, if his coaching translate to the SEC. Uh, we'll start finding out this fall. Michael, you can on three dot com. If you could come up, I don't. I just thought about this with a Mount Rushmore of SEC football coaches. I think there's two givens, and they both hail from Tuscaloosa. I think Bear Bryant and Nick Saban are on the on the Mount Rushmore. Boy, the other two hard to fill, don't you think? Yeah, they actually did that a couple of years ago at a different location. Uh, Tony Barnhart and I came up with um, okay. my other ones were uh, Bob Neeland and Steve Spurrier. Okay, um, Neeland because of his emphasis on defense and how that permeated throughout college football, and Spurrier because his offense. <laughs> And how it changed SEC thinking. Um, you know, I think if you think back to the SEC in the '80s, it was all about the run. Spurrier gets there. Um, I can remember his team. I think it was in 1990. Played Auburn, and Pat Dye was very dismissive of Florida's offense. Florida beat him 48 to 10. Um, <laughs> and I think that Spurrier showed that you know you can throw the ball. Um, we have great athletes in the Southeast, and if you unleash the passing attack with these great athletes, you're going to do some damage. Um, and I think the, the rest of the SEC eventually came around. Obviously, you still have to play defense, and I think that's where Spurrier gets short trips. He had phenomenal defenses at Florida. Yeah. He was there. but um, and, and then Neyland, 
Tennessee went through one season without giving up a point. I don't wow. care what level of football you're at. That's that's a mind-blowing stat. I don't care if it was it in is. the 30s. That's a mind-blowing stat, but it's yeah. true. So to me, it would be Bryant, Saban, Spurrier, and Bob Neyland. I like that. You know what sold me even more so on Spurrier? Not only what he did at Florida, but the fact that he made South Carolina relevant. South Carolina relevant. It's hard to believe. And you're right. That 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 is. You could you could argue that the reason Florida was ripe for the picking, so to speak, because the, my goodness, think of the talent level in the oh, state. Crazy. But he had South Carolina in the top ten. That's mind blowing. Considering remarkable. they didn't win a bowl game until the nineties at South Carolina. And that was a it's a non entity program again, and, and heck, he won an ACC title at Duke as well. Wow, yeah, that's amazing. Um, I, I love doing those kind of things. We'll have to do one of basketball uh, down the road as well. But um, uh, these are the dog days. We're waiting. Yes. SEC media days ought to be fun. Um, I still think Brian Kelly is the best addition to the league um, by far. Because of his track, I think he's going to do fine at LSU. I really do. Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I, I think the, the the I'm extremely interested in, in seeing um, some of the defensive changes that go on at at, at LSU this year. Um, you know, I think Mason Smith is going to go from a guy with a ton of potential to a potential All American this year. Yeah, because yeah. I think that he's going to thrive as as an end in the three four for LSU. Um, and I, it's weird to me. To me, you look at LSU's front seven, and it was like eh, they weren't very good last year. I think they're going to be awesome this year. I think, I think great. weirdly, yeah. the secondary is the question because they got to have all right. those transfers gel extremely quickly in the secondary. Right. So um, you look at the SEC. Alabama's winning the West. Georgia's winning the East. And it certainly looks like the third best team. But if I'm an LSU fan, I'm thinking, hey, maybe we're the fourth best team in the league, which means we're going to win nine or ten games. I don't know if that's truly doable, considering how bad they were the last two years, but I agree with you. I think Brian Kelly is a really high-level coach. Um, and I've said and said before, if he can recruit to Notre Dame, and he did, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier for him to recruit at LSU than it was at Notre Dame. Michael Huguenin on 3.com. You're the best. Wednesdays are better with you, man. Thank you so much. All right, appreciate it. Talk to you next week. Thanks, man. All right. Well, Tune in next week to the Jordy Holberg Show for Hump Day with Huguenin. Here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, time to wrap things up. LSU softball coming home. They lose to Mississippi State in the SEC softball tournament 7-4, to four, but they'll be a host in the NCAA regionals. Thanks to Ali Cassell, Chris Roseverglue, Michael Huguenin. Thanks to you, James Mesh, as well. If today is your birthday, May the 11th, happy birthday from all of us to all of you. You share yours with one of the greatest players in SEC football history, Cam Newton, 33 years young today. I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. Until tomorrow, I'm Jordy Helper. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay healthy, my friends. Do everything you can to be kind to everybody and be happy. So long, everybody.